Welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. everyone and welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast that was get down by matt hibbard hi carl and greg how are you both doing hello nicole hello carl so uh hello fellow podcasters um <laughs> yeah i like that track it's kind of yeah it's very vibey very, very 70s very 70s i see here t-rex mark bolin david essex I Gary think you, Glitter. I, I think you've nailed it, and then you you added David Essex at the last second there. I love that. What's yeah. the guy? Um, Greenbaum, you know, Spirit in the Sky. Yeah, What's yeah, that guy's yeah, name? Yeah. Yep, Roy Wood of of. Oh, uh, Roy Wood! I love Roy Wood of, of Wizard. Well, Roy Wood was basically started the move with uh, right. Jeff Lynn and Bev Bevan, and then right. they they added cellos and made it ELO, and then he quit. Yep. And then he quit. <laughs> how did how did you like me randomly sending you Badfinger last week? <laughs> just, that was cool. I, I love Badfinger. Yeah, I love man. Bad it's like I, I was just kind of bowled over by, I clicked it by accident. 
And you know that that music is just so incredibly well, they were like the melodic. Beatles, and, the Beatles proteges. They were like one of the first yeah, acts signed to time, Apple. I think George Harrison, Paul McCartney wrote that first song for them. Come and get it. And I, uh, really, I didn't know that. Not only did he write it, the story I heard is that Paul McCartney demoed the song. If you go on the anthology CD for the Beatles, anthology, one of those discs, they have Paul McCartney's version, and he recorded it. It sounds exactly like the record, and he gave it to them and said, listen, do it exactly like this, and you'll have a hit. And they just did it exactly like that. They just demoed what he did, and it was a hit. So <laughs> Wow. And then Harrison played guitar on Baby Blue, dun, 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 or Day After Day, whatever it is. So, yeah, they're very Beatley, you know. So yeah. uh, Really, really cool. Sad story, that group, though. Two of the guys, yeah. Tom Evans yeah. and Pete Ham, within a few years of each other, committed suicide. Yeah, kind of tragic ending. Because they got those, so yeah. ripped off by their management and one of those horrible you know, industry stories. But... Yeah, I was like, you know, I was thinking about what we might talk about today, and uh, you know, I didn't, I did, I don't want to go down the road of this, these like weekly rants associated with the music industry. And a friend of mine just made a new CD or just made a new project, just recorded a new project, and he quite simply put on his social networks, "This is available via CD. If you want one, contact me. It will not be streamed." Music is free now, period. Okay. You know, I don't know how to feel about it. I think it's right. I think he's resigned himself to the idea that he's not going to be able to make money doing this. But yet, there's something sad about somebody not laying out 20 bucks in order to hear what he does. He's sticking to his guns and won't, won't let you get it unless you buy it from him. No, he's not selling it. That's the point. What's he going to do? He's like, music is free now. I will not have this on streaming platforms. If you want a copy, contact me and I'll send it to you. He's not selling it. So he wants people to actually like get in touch with him to get his music. It's not on streaming. You can't go buy it in the store. You can't buy it on Correct. Apple. He wants Correct. people to hand over like their email or phone number and like be able to then get it. But there's no ulterior motive. It's basically a statement that if it were up on streaming platforms, I would I would receive no money anyway. So go ahead and contact me if you're interested in what I'm doing, and I'll send you a copy. Yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of doesn't make sense because I get his point, but he has to manufacture these CDs. So it's, see, the streaming won't cost him anything for people to take it. Now it's going to cost him money to have people yeah, have his money. Yeah, but I, I think I think it is a statement about you know it's like why should I allow somebody some platform to monetize my work? Well, when about, I can't do it. Myself? How about taking it one step further? He says, if you want to hear my music, I will come to your house and play it but i'm not i'm not gonna put it on lunch it's charging grand for that but, uh, no for well, free bringing <laughs> bringing up this topic greg we do have to speak about someone that i think you and carl are pretty Stop. tired of speaking what? about no already this soon <laughs> i mean greg kind of stepped into it without realizing that i wanted to talk about it this week so we had the lovely Taylor Swift play her Eras concert here in Nashville this weekend for three nights at Nissan Stadium. Not only did she sell out and have the highest attended concert or event at Nissan Stadium, she announced her Speak Now Taylor's version, which will be out July or July 7th or something like that. So she's kind of doing the opposite of this guy and basically saying, because other people are profiting, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to re-record everything and release it and hopefully, you know, 
run them out of business. How many albums has she done? This is the third one that'll be released, and then there'll be three more after this that she has to work on. And this is like to piss off the people. This is to piss off uh, Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun. Right. Right. Yeah, she's doing it because, you know. So if you want want these records, you buy mine. Don't buy the ones they have. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I give her credit. and And she's been a friend to broadcasting, so... The broadcasters are actually programming her versions versus the others. Now, I don't know what the s- circumstance with Spotify she's is. She's sticking it to the man. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's trying at least, but she's doing it. Uh, but she's really, she's an anomaly. She's off the chart. I mean, I don't think that Taylor Swift can protest anything because she's making billions of dollars. That's not her fault. <laughs> yeah, she's making like nine million a show, and she'll make like ninety million from the merch, just from the tour itself. So, God. so if you're like a family with like a mother and two daughters, and you want to go to Taylor uh, Swift concert yeah. and buy some T-shirts, it's going to cost you about three grand. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, forget it. I wouldn't pay that if John Lennon came back and the Beatles got back together. I'm sorry. It's like who cares? But uh, no one's that good. No, I mean. No, nobody's an hour of them singing is worth a thousand dollars of my money. Carl, I'm sorry. She does, she does a three hour and thirty minute show. I don't care if it's if it's four weekends. <laughs> I, I, I want to go. She is on the opposite end of the scale. I mean, we have people. We have literally millions of people being creative and making projects that no one will ever hear and spending money to do it. And then you've got this person that is literally making billions with a B and she's doing pretty much the same thing. Yeah, she's, by she's, the same she's good. People that are yeah, she's kind of good, but she's not exceptionally outstanding. She's not David it's- Bowie. No, but you know, she's not. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't interest me in any way. It's her fans that she's cultivated over the last decade right. that are carrying her. There's so many people that grew up at like you know crucial times in their life that just have become what they deem Swifties. So I think that I think the timing is exactly what you're describing, mm-hmm. and I think the timing has coalesced for her. I mean, the people that I saw attending the concert were either parents taking their 16-year-olds or 35-year-olds that it represents some kind of nostalgia. I saw a thing um, this week, a Yahoo interview with uh, Joe Elliott, the lead singer of Def Leppard. And, I, and I've always loved Def Leppard. I thought they were the... Yeah. They used to have like... They were good. Those songs had like three hooks. That was Mutt Lang, really intense. They were like oh, yeah, Zeppelin, yeah, yeah. Met Duran Duran. You know, they're all... They're, they were poppy, but they were rocky. Anyway, so he was saying like, you know, 10 years ago, there was that CMT Crossroads thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, right. and the one, the one person that wanted to do it with him was Taylor Swift. So they did a yep. Taylor Swift crossroads. So he, so they did like photograph and fooling. I didn't know that. Anyway, so I, I watched his video, right? And he was saying like, we were like this 80s band and now this new up and coming like, and she was huge even then, like in 2013, whatever it was. Anyway, so he starts singing photograph, right? And he's good. They do their yep. stuff good. She kicks in. It sounds. It sounds like some girl he pulled off from up from the, the stage, crowd. from the crowd. She's not really good. She looks like she's awkward trying to move with them. You know, it was cool and all. She's excited because she's getting to play with her mom's favorite band, but but it it was just bizarre. She's just. I don't get it. It is a very I, I like her. Thing. I think yep. she has some good songs. 
a few cool phrases, you know, word plays, and some of her lyrics. Some of the melodies are nice. I think her voice is tepid. You know, I don't think it's really <laughs> wonderful. And uh, I think she's kind of pretty. But she dresses like a but, figure skater. It's just but she can't dance. But to her fan base. I so. guess that's it. She's perfectly <laughs> mediocre where she, she resonates. <laughs> and don't anybody kill me because I'm putting I down to, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, I think she's sweet and wonderful. I think she's the positive force in the world. But I don't think she's the Beatles. Musically, she, yeah. <laughs> All right, so there's one more thing I wanted to talk about before we get to our next song. But Ed Sheeran released his documentary on Disney Plus called The Sum of It All. And I did watch it with my mom this weekend. And I think both of you do need to watch it. I think it'll at least give more perspective into what his thought process has been throughout his entire career and how he's basically pre-planned all of his albums. And it's very calculated and interesting to watch and understand. I know this sounds, again, ridiculous. I'm an idiot. I can, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this with saying I am an idiot, but <laughs> I can't stand to look at him. I can't even look at him. Why? I, I just hate his look, that, that, that is it red hair, that his, his big bulgy eyes. His, he just bugs me. I can't even look at him. So I don't care how good he is, I can't look at him. So just I was kind of glad, don't, don't I was look at him, glad that he won that trial. I'm excited. I get to see him at... Uh, Nissan Stadium in July. So, more more to come on that. Oh, we've successfully ranted about it. Taylor Swift, today, I can't stand. Apparently, I just bring it out of you with these younger artists. <laughs> who else? Who is major? Can I diss? You know what? You could diss. You could diss Katy Perry for playing at the King's coronation. Yeah, why? Why Girl, is she you there? You and I are like those two Muppets, those old men <laughs> in the balcony. Of the- yeah, why was Katy Perry at the coronation? That one was like very interesting. That and Lionel Richie. Like, I had no idea why. Out of all of the talent out of England, they would pull two American artists to come play. Maybe he, maybe he likes American Idol. I don't know. Maybe like, I don't know. Anyway, before I I, I uh, completely implode, <laughs> I insult somebody else. Let's play some more music. Sure. All right, let's play his single, Boomerang. Well, I heard you screeching in the radiator's bloom. We just happen to hear some funny things Oh, 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 
what I love? I love how these young people mm. are all making, like, still making this music from, like, the 70s. and. Well, this is more 80s and 90s for me. Uh, I, I, this is very reminiscent of, I used to love these bands that had these great kind of adult contemporary vocals, but they were a little edgy around the edges. There was a band called The Lilac Time. There was a band called Blue Nile, which I loved. You know what it reminds but, me of? It reminds me of like a an early prefab sprout. <laughs> well, I, I I wasn't gonna say it, but, but uh, that yeah, Carl the, the vocals. Did. I'm only the vocals kidding. Are, are, are very you know, kind of prefab you know, maybe like in maybe places. like you know later day bebop deluxe. You know what I'm saying? No, don't start on the bebop deluxe. <laughs> Anyway, um, I think my favorite band from that uh-oh. genre is a band that most people don't know anything about. It's a band called Trash Can Sinatras. I heard the and name. They were, they were fabulous, and uh, they're still making records. But if this, if you know, this, reminds uh, me of reminds me of like the early Boogaloo Bicycle Benders. <laughs> Now, what was the other band that you the came wombat, up the with? Oh, the Wombat Zombies. <laughs> Oh, 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 man, that's so, they're the opening act for the Wombat Zombies. The Boogaloo Bicycle Boogaloo Benders. Boogaloo Bicycle Benders. Right. Boogaloo Bicycle Benders. Opening We've for Wombat get... Zombie on June 2nd, 2023. <laughs> At a club called the Mom's Mustache. Or yeah. You know, we'll just keep going. We'll just keep adding on to... Didn't uh, we Didn't know. we speak to this guy? We did speak to Matt. He answered our questions of the week. I like that, Okay, go ahead. What do we All ask right. these people? So the first question that we asked Matt is to tell us a little bit about himself. Hi, my name is Matt Hibbard, and I am a songwriter and producer based out of Nashville and Tulsa. And having grown up in North Texas, um, it's it was kind of like the Wild West of the music scene down there, shenanigans and all. I studied piano and music theory for 10 years from age five. Then I taught myself to play guitar around age 12, 13 years. It was around this time I began songwriting and crafting songs seriously. Over the years, I got into record production and engineering at various recording studios and record labels, all the while acquiring vintage audio gear and building up my own studio, which I now operate from. And that's where I record all my tunes. I also move around a lot and spend time in Nashville and New York as well. For some reason... That guy, the way he talks, doesn't sound like the guy who's singing those songs. No, right? and I love how how great his sound is, but it makes sense because he owns his own studio. So. Right. It also gives me some insight into the first track. You know, we talked about, you know, if the vocal was down in the mix uh, for effect. Sometimes when you produce your own vocals, sometimes you subconsciously will pull back a bit. I think his vocals are terrific. I think he needs to feature them inside the mixes and we'll see what happens in the future cool so the next thing that we asked him is what music artists have inspired your career so far well for me this may be an obvious one if you closely analyze some recording techniques and song crafting elements of mine lennon mccartney for sure mac demarco kevin parker radiohead taylor swift she's pretty influential and not just because she's my wife and we both love each other very much. But I really, really respect her and her music. Her songwriting combined with her personality and attitude, I find it interesting to note 
how Taylor is able to not only consistently reinvent herself, but how her vocal approach changes for nearly every record that she makes, down to the subtle nuances and dialects of every inflection of detail. For example, Folklore and Evermore featured the vast majority of songs in her lower register, which complemented the woodsy and almost Baroque bohemian themes to the point where it seemed too good to be true, but it was. Did he know we were talking? He had no idea. (laughs) These were recorded like months ago. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did he say about his wife? wife? He's making a joke. Like, making a joke, like, in his mind. They're, That's they're married, funny. but That's yeah. Funny. So in, in the one episode where we like totally put down Taylor Swift. We have like Taylor Swift's number one fan. <laughs> yeah, we have his number one like, you know, influence. I never heard someone talk that highly about her. I like that he has a very nuanced take on, on you know, how, the, how those records are being produced. Uh, and he's right. But the problem that I have is that I am not inside the songs enough to appreciate, you know, what she's trying to do artistically. I'm just not, I mean, not invested in the songs, you know? What is interesting is the two albums that he said, Folklore and Evermore, are probably two of her most obscure and overlooked ones. So maybe there's something to say about those, because I personally have not dedicated the time to listen to those at all, because they came out, I believe, during the pandemic. So I think everyone kind of just overglossed them waiting for the next one to come. We asked him one last question, didn't we? We did. We asked him, what is one service not offered right now in the music industry that indie music artists need? Well, first off, it would be a more comprehensive and simplified way for songwriters and producers to administer and collect their royalties. The second one would be increasing the royalty rate substantially for songwriters and producers on platforms like Spotify and Apple Music, for example. I understand recently a new agreement was established where the royalty rate will gradually increase to just over 15% by 2027. While this is progress, too many artists are still forced to rely on merch sales while on tour for the majority of their profit. This is a bit like a pay-to-play situation, obviously, as tour support is key to having a successful run and getting your product out in front of new faces every night. But additionally, it shouldn't have to be so complicated for artists with the overall goal to maintain control over their own music, masters, publishing rights, and to collect all those royalties. I just thought of something, Greg, you can answer this maybe. Why should Spotify make any money at all off the records? They shouldn't. Yeah, why should they get anything? Why should they, who are they to pay out anything? They're having to pay a royalty for the ability to stream, right? You know, that, that's that been the big argument for years is the idea that, that radio has not been paying for a, a royalty associated right, with exactly, the use of exactly. the recording, the sound recording. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's all so messed up that, and here's the reason it's messed up. It's not messed up because they don't want to pay. It's messed up because... People, it's so ubiquitous, the use of the stream, that there are billions and billions and billions of streams out there, and they're not considered the value of what it would be like to play the song for somebody on their local radio station like it was 1969. So that's the problem. It's the economy of scale that people can't wrap their heads around and they would not be able to pay 
at scale for the public performance of these works. So that's what's weird about it, is the idea that... Coming in June, the new Boogaloo Bicycle Benders Greatest Hits CD... (laughs) Are we done? Are we done? I think we are done. By the way, we love Taylor Swift. She's the best. Yep. She's the new yep. Beatles. And, uh, yep. well, she kind of is. You know, regardless of what I think, she's, if anyone has, if there's any one artist who's like the, like, overall biggest artist right now in the music business, it's kind of her, right? Mm-hmm. I think the planets have aligned for her. They aligned for for the Beatles. Good for her. They aligned for um, Elvis. They aligned for Bing Crosby. You know, I mean, it's just timing. All right. You know what? Anyway, get us out of here. Enough. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 podcast. Make sure that you listen all the way through because we have one more song by Matt called Perfect. For everything that we spoke about in this episode, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the number is 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. Love